0: The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody in the house love Jesus? Yeah. Woo! Lord, I love this Wednesday night crowd. People that go to church on Sunday morning. You know what? They love the church. People that go to church on Wednesday night love Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. I, uh, you know, there was a time years ago that I used to walk these aisles. I used to preach in these aisles because it wasn't so crowded. And I walked walk these aisles and I would say, Balcony? You're going to be up there one day. And one night I got so bold, I walked up in the balcony and preached down to the people down here. And said, we're going to be up here one day praising God. Balcony, I want to hear from you. Come on, clap your hands real big, Balcony. Come on. Wow, wow, wow. If anybody starts to go to sleep, punch them real good. This is a good night, a great night. What a great night to be in the house of God. July the 11th, right here in the middle of summer. It's hot. Lord, it's hot. And uh, I'm so glad our AC works pretty good in here. Is it all right upstairs? Y'all okay? I don't see anybody really fanning. Y'all all all right? I worry about you. Y'all okay? All right. I see a hand go up. I don't know if you're dying or living. (laughs) But it's good to see you. Would you stand? You're awesome, people. I love you. I am so flattered and so blessed. I go home after nights like this, honestly, whether I preach good, bad, or indifferent. I go home and I, I sometimes just sit down on the couch and weep. And I'm not trying to draw any kind of sympathetic thing because I lead from strength, not weakness. But there is something awesome about a church that loves to come out like this. We didn't have any dinner waiting for you tonight, we didn't have any special prizes for you tonight. We're just here to worship Jesus Christ and honor him. And it's a, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of getting to pastor a church like this. And I don't, I don't, I'm not envious of anybody else in America. There's some envious of us, but I'm not envious of anybody because I am blessed to be in South Austin with you, precious people. And I made this my, I made this my home in 1990, and I'm going to live here until y'all shit me out of here. And it's not going to be while I'm alive. I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to be around a long time. So, God's God's promised me about 110. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to do something a little bit special tonight, right here in the middle of summer. I'm going to cast vision tonight. I'm going to cast some vision at this church. We're going to, we're going to read after a while from Proverbs 29 and 18, and we're going to use Joshua 6 and 2 as our reference scriptures. But everybody say, cast vision. Cast vision. And we're going to talk about it. Sometimes, sometimes it's easy to have a pioneer vision when you have smallness and you have a little church, and you don't have a lot of people. But when you start growing, do you still have vision? Do you still have vision? I'd like to ask, are there any dreamers still in the house tonight? Are there any dreamers? Is there anybody that still believes God can? Yes. And He will, yes. because He wants to. Yes. He's that kind of God. Turn to somebody and say, I want to help the pastor. And you may be seated. God bless. Let me talk to you a little while. All of our guests, we're glad to have you. It's an honor. About 400 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. And in the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste Of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had a vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardships to get here or there. But in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. Helen Keller was asked once what would be worse than being born blind, and she replied, having sight without a vision. What a profound statement by a girl who was born into this world deaf and blind and mute. She could not help how she came into the world, but she sure could help how she left this world. And we can help how we leave it also, because without a vision, people. Perish. Everybody say, God. God. Let us continue to be visionary people. The word vision simply means sight or dream or revelation or enlightenment. The word perish means to die or to expire or to take off all restraints. So if we don't have vision, if we don't have sight, dream, revelation, enlightenment, it doesn't take long for a church to die, to expire, and to take off all restraints that hold us to the cause. I read a story recently about a Little League coach who reminisced about his childhood years playing baseball in Little League. And he remembered back how during his first year his coach called together the team for a picnic, and he asked the team, who wants to be eventually play Major League Baseball on this team? And every single hand went up as every child there dreamed about playing in the Major League Stadium and hitting the game-winning hit. And that boy that was on that team grew up to become a Little League coach himself. And the week before opening day, his first year of coaching, he did the same thing. He had a team picnic, and he asked the team, who here wants to grow up and play in the Major Leagues? And not one hand went up on a team of 12 kids, not one hand. He said he could see in their eyes that not one kid on his team believed that he had what it took to become a Major League Baseball player. It's quite a contrast between people who have vision and people who lack vision. Without a vision, people perish. See, vision is that elusive thing that dares to dream big dreams about the future. Vision has been called hope with a blueprint. Vision is what an inventor has when he or she thinks outside the box to create something brand new. Vision is what a mother has as she looks at her newborn baby and imagines all that that child could do and grow up and become. Vision has a way of ignoring its critics and chasing its dreams regardless of how many people say it cannot be done. Listen to these famous predictions that underestimated the incredible power of vision. Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM in 1943, said, I think there is a market for maybe five computers in the whole world. Are you listening to me or are you already asleep? That's funny. Ken Olson, president and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, said in 1977, there's no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. Consider this, Western Union memo from 1876. The telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. <laughs> or consider the words of Decca Records of why they turned down signing the Beatles in 1962 We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on its way out. <laughs> is that ignorance or what? <laughs> Charles Duell, commissioner of the U.S. Post of uh, U.S. Office of Patent, said in 1899. Everything that can be invented has already been invented. Are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Do you see the glass half full or do you see the glass half empty? If you're a part of this church for over a year and you're still seeing the glass half empty, we need to meet after church and I need to lay hands on your head. Because God is in to people that believe that he still can do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or even think. Clap your hands to that. The fifth grade Sunday school class was asked to go home and count the stars in the sky as part of their next Sunday school lesson. And they came back with various numbers. One kid said, I counted a hundred. Another said, I counted a thousand. One said, I counted a million. The teacher kind of looked at that kid like, boy, you stayed out there a while. <laughs> and finally, a little teacher asked a little boy who had said nothing, how many stars did you count? He said, three. The teacher asked him, How you only had three? He said, I guess because we have such a small backyard. <laughs> I read about a schoolboy who brought home his report card and it was heavy with poor grades. And His dad said, what do you have to say about this? One thing for sure, the boy replied, Dad, you can be proud of this. You know I haven't been cheating. (laughs) Two things I don't want. I don't want a small backyard, and I don't want to cheat. But I want to pass God's exam on this earth. And he desires that this church be as effective as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. As it ever has been. We ought to have no off services. We ought to have every service people find in Jesus. People being healed of diseases. People being set free of situations. Homes being repaired. Lives being stood up again. Hallelujah. Things coming back together. Hope being renewed in people's hearts. We need that in church every time we get together. No, it's not hype. It's hope. But it's more than hope. It's faith in God that he's able to do what we believe he can do. See, vision has a way of ignoring those who say it can't be done and doing it anyway. However, we all go through times when our vision fades. You know that. When the flame of our vision begins to dim, its passion begins to ease, and its heat begins to cool. That's what was happening to young Timothy and why Paul addressed him in his second letter to him. By the way, Paul's last letter was written to a young man and not a church. That makes me weepy because Paul thought so much of Timothy, he chose to write him the last letter that he would ever write. And Paul was so concerned that his passion and purpose and vision get into lives, that his last letter before death was to one and not many. You see, the apostle Paul had sent Timothy to try to salvage a mess in a church in Ephesus. And yet when Timothy got there, he found himself way in over his head. He was too young. The leadership team in the Ephesian church was older than Timothy was, and he, they didn't respect his leadership. And to make matters worse, Timothy was shy, and he was timid. It's biblical, and had a tendency to avoid confrontation. And the stress of his ministry assignment affected Timothy's health. He found himself sick with constant stomach ailments. And in the meantime, his beloved mentor, the Apostle Paul, had been arrested by the Roman government. And Timothy's vision had dissipated. Life can do that to anyone. You know that as well as I do, and I'm standing here tonight. The excitement and enthusiasm he had once felt when he joined Paul's ministry team some years earlier was now gone. Somewhere between his bad health and perhaps the discouragement of the church in Ephesus and the fear of Paul's life, Timothy's vision had slipped away. And he needed his vision renewed. And that's a big reason why Paul wrote him and him alone the second letter. The second letter is the last letter we have from Paul's pen before his execution. It's a kind of a last will and testament as Paul reflects on the vision that fueled his life and fueled his ministry. And as I studied a portion of 2 Timothy, I was struck with the fact that it touches four areas of our church. There's four chapters in 2 Timothy. There's 83 verses in 2 Timothy, and they're all directed to a young man. And if I can, I'd like to take four things from that and preach to this congregation tonight. Would you mind me doing that? Number one, our vision for worship. Everybody say our vision for worship. Vision for worship. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Paul said, I thank God whom I serve. Say, I thank God, I thank God whom, I serve. whom I, serve. I serve. Now, this is not a, a usual New Testament word for serve. It's from the Greek word latreo, L-A-T-R-E-U-O. It's used at least 20 other times in the New Testament. And it refers to service to God as an act of worship. It literally means a worship service. There is where we get the phrase worship service from. May I declare to this congregation that the first thing that Paul wrote to Timothy is when you get into that Ephesian church and when you get into a house of God, get those people to serve the Lord In a way called worship. I wonder if anybody in the house tonight would like to say hallelujah to that. I wonder if anybody in the house would like to clap their hands and say I will serve the Lord with my worship. My praise to him will be exalted. Because he's worthy of everything that I am and everything that I ever hoped to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The second thing he said our vision for prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Paul told how he prayed without ceasing for Timothy. He told that young man of his heritage, of Lois, his grandmother, and Eunice, his mother. And he said, You're a great third generation, son. Paul spoke of pouring out his heart and pursuing God's heart. Can I stop and just say this? I'm not Paul, but I want to say something. I believe God wants our church to be a church where our passion for God And God's purposes inspire us to believe him for the impossible. Hallelujah. Anybody got a passion for God to do the impossible? Does anybody have a situation in your life right now that you say, I can't get there? I can't get to that point. Can I tell you what's impossible with man is possible with God. And what you can't do, God thrills in getting the chance to do. So why don't you turn it over to him and say, I believe you can do all things in my life that I can't do. Ooh, I want to preach tonight, but I don't want to get outside myself. I might lose my mind here a little. The third thing, not only our vision for worship and our our vision for prayer, but our vision for service. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7, we renew our vision for service by using the gifts God has given us. God had given Timothy all the equipment he needed to be an effective servant. But the fire of God's gift in Timothy's life was going out. It had become like a fire in the fireplace with no new wood that had been added for a long time. And the flame wasn't burning anymore. Instead, there was a glowing ember that was gradually losing its heat. And in verse 6, Paul encourages Timothy to fan the flame. Everybody say fan the flame. He was saying simply throw another log on the fire, son of your gifts so it would once again burn brightly and with intensity. The way we fan the flame of our spiritual gifts is by using them. Can I tell you that Saturday, this church is going to be a flame of fire in Austin, Texas. And on Sunday, we're going to walk in this church, and we're going to be so excited about what God allowed us to do on Saturday that this place is going to have worship. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have things that we've never dreamed of in our life because God is just To bless this church like we've never felt in our life. Paul said in verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. He was saying, Stop being timid. Stand up and be counted because you are a child of God and you matter in the kingdom of God. Clap your hands, real big. That's good stuff. And the fourth thing he said, Our vision for outreach. 1st Timothy 2nd Timothy 1 and 8 by testifying about Jesus Folks, I've dreamed of our church being attended by hundreds of unchurched people each week. This is my dream. And if I'm if I'm sleeping, please don't wake me tonight. I met probably 10 brand new people that walked in our church tonight. Can I say, not only did I see you on the porch and you told me your name, thank you. But I also want you to know that I'm happy that you're in the house of God tonight. And I'm happy you're here. And I know that you're in the process of discovering an awesome relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to thank all of our Bible teachers that give lessons. I want to thank all the phone callers to the unchurched. I want to thank you for checking on the shut-ins, care pastors and people, other people. I want to thank you for visiting hospitals. I want to thank you for every card ministry. I've got an 87-year-old, my girl Friday, that works with me on Fridays. And she sends out birthday cards every week to people. You ever got a birthday card from this church? Come on, lift your hand up. You know why you get that? Because somebody 87 years old say, I still matter in the kingdom of God. If an 87-year-old can say that, can't a 47-year-old say that? Can't a 27-year-old say that? Hey, don't let some 87-year-old person outwork you in the kingdom of God. Get yourself involved in what God's doing. Let's build a church for the kingdom of God. On Sunday, on Sunday, on Sunday, you know we're building a new building. You know we're expanding. We're going from 800 seats to 1,700 seats. You know that. And I'm so excited about it. We're going to break brown probably next August. Uh, This August, but but a, a gentleman came to us last week, and he walked in our office. They wanted to see Patty before they left. They're friends of ours, and he said, "Pastor, I want to tell you, it's not the building that you're going to build that's going to mean this church's purpose. It's what this church is going to do outside the walls of that building." Let me declare. Let me declare something to you. Get ready. God's going to run through the streets of the city. This church is going to be a lighthouse. It's been prophesied to be. People are going to find Jesus on the street corners and in business places and in schools. Hallelujah. And in homes. There's a revival breaking out in South Austin. And I feel confident that CLC is going to be right in the middle of it. Oh, hallelujah. Clap your hands. Everybody say VIP. VIP. That's vision integrity people. I just made that up. That's just one of my made-up things there. The integrity of the vision must take precedent of integrity of the people. Without vision, people perish. Say, people perish. perish. But without people, vision still remains. (sighs) We must not be changed by the people. We must be committed to the vision. And a lot of people, when the church grows, begins to become laissez-faire. They just kind of lay back and become Laodicea. And they say, you know what? We don't need any more. We don't need any more growth. And that's why the Lord told me to preach vision here tonight and to say, we're not finished. Our best days are not behind us. Our best days are still before us. Hallelujah. And the disparity between vision and the status quo sometimes creates tension like a rubber band that's been stretched. And I'm going to put it on the screen. Often we're tempted to let this tension pull the vision down to the status quo to soften the vision to make it more palatable to the, way of th- to the way things are. But instead, we should let the tension pull the way things are closer to the vision, creating the ne- necessary change in our life needed to pull us toward what God has for us. Don't let status quo pull the vision down. Let the vision pull status quo up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. How many of you believe that God's got 10,000 people for us? How many believe that God's got 20,000 people for us? Come on. How many believe God's got 50,000 people for us? I'm not preaching something that can't happen. In the last days, he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It's not my church. It's his church. And there's no telling what God's going to do before he comes back. I like that statement. It is good here. Everybody say, bloom where you planted This church has been planted in South Austin. And God has called us to do a work among unchurched people. And the church is a lighthouse. It's a place for the infirmed. It's a place for the ailing, the hurting, the depressed, the oppressed, the possessed. It's a place for the derelict, the drug addict, the alcoholic. It's a place for men and women of the night. It's a place for ill-famed people. It's a place... It's a place for people that hell has given a bad philosophy to. It's a place for people that are mixed up. It's a place for the confused. It's a place for the broken. It's a place for people without family. It's a place for people without friends. It's a place for people without futures. It's a place for people without lives and without hope. It's a place for people without. And we're still going to be the church that God wants. It's my belief that this church has something that every unchurched person needs. And our purpose of this congregation, a vision that can reach, and we can achieve, and we can win. Clap your hands. I'm not far from finishing. Everybody say, vision is a faith to believe. It is is an attitude. attitude. Both the hummingbird and the vulture (laughs) fly over our nation's deserts. Vultures see rotting meat. That's what they look for. That's their diet. But hummingbirds ignore flesh dead animals. They look for blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it's looking for. You know what? We all do too. We need the right attitude. Vision is the courage to do. It's action. Not only is it attitude, but it's action. As long as I see it, it's between me and God. As long as I have the right attitude, it's between me and God. When it comes to putting it into action, it involves other people. May I involve this church tonight. There's an old boy that rode back to Jezreel one day in a chariot, and he drove furiously. And a lot of people came toward him, and Jehu took him out. But one man came to him and he asked him, is your heart right? Is your heart with me? And he said, my heart is right. He said, if your heart is right, give me your hand and get in my chariot and see my zeal for the Lord. On this Wednesday night, I would like to ask the congregation, or you want to go, go with us and see the greatest revival this church has ever had? Do you believe that we can do that? It's not emotion time. It's put up time. Come on, it's time to say, my heart is with the church. Come on. Give the church your hand. Put your hand out. Say, my hand is with the church. I want to be a part of what God is doing at Christian Life Church. Come on, clap them real big. Clap them real big. God made Joshua three great promises one day in Joshua 6. This is the last scripture we're going to use. Joshua 6. He said, See, I have given you into your hands Jericho. Everybody say, God God has given given into his hands hands Jericho. Jericho." And the very next phrase in verse 2, he said, I have given you the king thereof. Everybody say, the king. king. I have given you the mighty men of valor. Say, "The the mighty men of valor. Folks, when God makes a promise, his promises are complete. God will give His servants words fitly spoken. Notice, God spoke in the past tense. He said, See, I have given you this city. Just leave it up there. Leave it up there for a while. All three of them. All three of them. Leave it up there. Put the first one back up there. I have given you this city. It has been done. God said, See, S-E-E. It comes from the Hebrew word rawa, R-A-W-A-A-W. It means to envision something. I... I have spoken, so arise and go conquer. Don't look for me to do it, because it's already been done. Rise up and take what I have given. The second thing he said, I have given you the king. Daniel called him the prince of Persia. The world has crowned him king of this world. But God has given us victory over Satan's kingdom. We have dominion. There's not a power that can stop this church because it's not our church. It's his church. (laughs) Upon this rock, he said, I'll build my church. This is not Rex's church. It's not your church. It's his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have given you victory over the king. And then he said, I have given you mighty men of valor. God has given us mighty men and women. And let me preach right now. Here's some vision. And there are people still out there that are going to be a part of this glorious church. They just don't know it yet. God called Jeremiah while he was still in the womb. He called Josiah by name 350 years before he was born. There's a roll call that God has for this church, and we must see and do what God has for us to do. Our vision must be Spirit-born. Say it, Spirit-born. Spirit born. Say Spirit-fed. Spirit and say Spirit-led spirit to accomplish the things that God wants this church to do. Randy, if you'll come and help me, I'd appreciate it. Luke 8 and 49. Someone from Jairus's house came and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But in Luke 8 and 50, Jesus heard it. He answered him saying, fear not. Everybody say, believe only, believe only. And she shall be made whole. That's the only time in the Bible where God put faith above only. When you got something dead in your house, he said believe only. Not only believe, but believe only. God asked us to put faith in front of everything else. Mom and Dad, don't call anything dead in your house until Jesus has had the last say. And if He has had the last say, then why are we still here? When Jesus arrived at Jairus' home, I'm fixing to preach, the minstrels of mourning and death were asked to leave. I want you to notice in Matthew 9, 25, I remind you that Jesus did not ask them to leave. But He did not go in until they had left. But the one who hired the minstrels had to ask them to leave. If you have hired mourners and doubters into your home, fire them tonight. Let Jesus raise up the youthfulness in your home that can believe God for anything because everything is possible with God. You need to go home tonight and just start cleaning house and say, Get out of here, dead spirit. Get out of here, dead mourners. Get out of here weeping and wailing. This is going to be a house of victory. It's going to be a house that God dwells in, and God is in this place. God is into the anything business. He can do anything, anywhere, for anyone, anytime. I can't quit without talking about Bruce Lee. I love Bruce Lee. (laughs) He had a fighting style like no other because he developed it himself. And the main part of his fighting style was he aimed six inches beyond his target. What a concept for Christians. It's time to quit coming up short with your blows. Go for it. Let's reach our target for this generation. God has been impressing not only me as pastor, but leaders in this congregation. I, I, I don't remember a time when more of my leaders of the congregation have been coming to me and say, Pastor, we're not going to get that church built quick enough. It's not going to happen quick enough. God's moving. One man came to me the other day and said, Pastor, people are starting to walk up to me and said, wherever you go to church, I'm going to be with you on Sunday. You don't have to. You don't have to. You, know, you all got to do is just just Go. Just go, just go tell people how good God is in your life. And when everybody else starts cursing, just smile. When everybody else is throwing a cool one back, get you a Diet Pepsi. You know what I'm saying? Because after a while, they're going to say, wow, that guy is drinking something that I ain't drinking. He's got a hold of something I don't have a hold of. That woman's got something I don't have a hold of. And I promise you, you'll look around and there'll be a whole family coming in behind you and say, hey, it's us, it's us. Because God is in to the saving business. Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Andy Stanley said, Life is a journey and every journey has a destination. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. A clear vision along with the courage to follow through dramatically increases your chances of coming to the end of your life looking back with a deep satisfaction and thinking, I did it, I made it, I succeeded, I finished well, my life counted. But without a clear vision, odds are you will come to the end of your life and wonder what you could have done and what you should have done. And like so many, you may wonder if your life really mattered at all. See, vision gives significance to the otherwise meaningless details of our lives. It's not always about what we're doing, but rather why we are doing it. I put in my notes, I love this church very much. I do believe this church has a God of heaven on our side. I do believe we have the personal confidence in that God. I do believe God will provide the means both skillfully and monetarily, to accomplish the goals that we have in our life. I cannot tell you how I need people to commit as never before. I need people who are half in and half out to step in all the way. One of my most horrible days of my life came 40 years ago when we had purchased some new property in Dallas, Texas. And I was a young 20-something preacher, 20-something years old preacher, when a young man in the Dallas church came up to me and said, he would never help me to stretch the church in a building program. And the reason, he felt the pastor would receive too much recognition. He was not put on earth, he said, to help the pastor get recognition. He was placed here to give the Lord his recognition. Can I tell you, I'm past 65. It ain't none of your business if you don't know how much I'm past 65. But people, please hear this, Pastor. It's all about the Lord receiving his just due. And this church leaving a legacy of the fact that we tried to do the best we could with this city and the God that we serve. I want to meet the Lord and hear him say, Well done. Well done. Come on, well done. Well done. Stand to your feet down to your feet, you're awesome people. Probably went a few minutes over. Forgive me. No, don't forgive me. Don't forgive me. Hold it against me. The same Todd Beamer that said, Let's roll in 2001. One of his favorite quotes was from Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt said, The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who strives valiantly, who spends himself for a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he falls and fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Are there any dreamers in the house tonight? Are there any vision casters in the house tonight? Are there any dads and moms that are still promise keepers in the house tonight? Come on. Does anybody still believe that God can and God will make a way to see what we can accomplish in the name of the Lord? I didn't put goals in front of you, I just said that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or think according to the power works in us in 1976 Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak was in a garage and invented Apple the Apple products computer there was another man with them named Ronald Wayne and Wayne was the one that put the contract together you got to get this and he left almost immediately after the contract was together and they gave him a check for $800 his time with them. If he had stayed with the team, his part would be worth $98 billion today. And I know it sounds like I'm just talking about money, but here's what I want to tell you. Don't leave your vision too soon. Don't leave your purpose on earth too soon. Don't give up on God. You know why You know why he quit Apple? You know why he quit Apple? Because he hated Steve Jobs. He hated him. There's nobody in this house hates the the Lord, do they? Come on, everybody loves Him, don't you? Don't you love the Lord in this house? Why don't you stay attached to Him and see where your vision, your dream will take you. I promise you, it'll take you more than just $800 down the road. It'll bless you like never before. So the man kind of got a break in 2011. Kind of got a break, Mr. Wayne did. He put online that he had a the original signature of jobs and Wozniak and my own signature, he said, on the document. And in 2011, a man came by and offered him $500 for that document and he sold it to him. And the man took that document that very day and sold it for $1.9 million. Some people just never grasp it. And I don't want to end on a negative, but I don't want, I don't want Ronald Waynes in the house that don't grasp what God's doing in this house. Your marriage can be healed in Jesus' name. Your kids can live for God in Jesus' name. Your job can get better in Jesus' name. Come on, I'm preaching to you right now. Your homes can be a delight in Jesus' name. Your homes can be a little bit of heaven. There is a presence of God in this house right now. Throw your hands in the air and say, I believe it, come on, I believe it. I receive it. Put it on me, Lord. I see it. I see it happening in my life. I see it happening in my home. I see it happening in my family. I see it happening on my job. I see it happening in my life, in my life, in this lifetime. I'm not going to leave early. I'm not going to quit on you, God. I'm going to hang in there.